Wagwan, ladies and gents, my name is Mr. Fiasi, Felix F, you can call me. I am here in Uva Radio, in the studio. It is as we speak, 5.43 on a Thursday. Uh, how have I been, you ask me? I've been pretty good, I've been pretty good. There's been um, some ups, some downs. Uh, overall, it's been good. We had last week the Uva Radio party at Vondelbanka which was actually the greatest night of uh, of the 21st century, if my calculations are correct on that one. Um, there was approximately 7,000 people there. Uh, Mark Rota came and did a speech about how he was going to move Dutch policy to the left because of uh, the great youth culture that he saw there on that night, and he was uh, scrapping tuition fees bringing back the 300 euro a month grant. Um, Andre Hasis came back from the dead, performed a few songs after Par Hazard. Him and Tosh did a little duet. It was very nice. Um, and obviously, Beta Bainsa was there to round off the night with some fat tunes on the decks. Nah, in all seriousness, though, it was... Uh, in all seriousness, that's not a thing. It's all seriousness. It was a madness. But this is, of course, not the the Uber Radio Sound Gallery review show. That's a different show. This is Party Roulette, where we talk about politics. Normally US politics, because that is my area of expertise. It's very interesting. I think I'm a bit addicted to it, to be honest. I'm wasting a lot of time these days just checking out the same seven YouTube channels and looking at everything they have to say, every single poll. Like, oh, can Elizabeth Warren bounce back? I don't know. I don't know, man. Can she do it? I don't think she can. She really, um, yeah, like two months ago, she was really surging. And a lot of people were starting to say that she was going to get the nomination. This is the other thing about these primaries in U.S. politics. It's such a spectacle, man. Like, it's been like this for eight months. And... The primaries don't even start for another two months. And then the actual general election isn't for another 11 months. So that in total is 19 months of political coverage, pretty much nonstop, like barely any other shit gets a look in. This is the focus for 19 months, which means there's a lot to talk about, but also I don't know if it's a good thing. I think... Too much of it is conjecture and speculation. Like, you know, two months ago, Kamala Harris was like, oh, yeah, I'm, a, you know, 15%. I'm a top-tier candidate. Da, 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 da. And now she's dropped out two months before the election, which is great news, by the way, because she was a terrible candidate and she would have changed absolutely nothing. Um, her big thing, I think she was she was pretty high up in the judicial system in California, and her big thing was that she put hundreds of thousands of uh, young people in jail for selling weed. And then there was a big movement in Obama's last couple of years to free a lot of these people. And she just wasn't on board with any of this. She was like, nah, keep them in jail. I'm going to have a donut, by the way, so don't mind me. And she wasn't having any of it. She also reinforced the three strikes law in California when people asked her about uh, legalizing weed in 2014 
because her Republican running mate or opposition candidate to her was uh, saying, yeah, we should legalize weed. Somebody asked her about that and she laughed at it. And this is in 2014, man. So you've got a woman here who just doesn't give a shit about the average worker. Doesn't give a shit about poor people who sell weed because they need to. But yeah. Because she dropped out. She said um, that this was because, you know, she's funding her own campaign and she's not a billionaire and all this. And it's like, yeah, you know, everybody's funding their own campaign. Michael Bloomberg is funding his own campaign, but he's a billionaire. That's the whole point. Bernie's funding his own campaign, but he has actual supporters who love him. And your campaign, because you're an establishment Democrat, was reliant on the support of the establishment. And I really do think there was some sneaky backroom calls. And a lot of other people say this as well, that this is a common thing which happens in primaries where when it becomes clear that the establishment aren't going to support you, they know that you continuing your race just hurts the chances of their chosen candidate because you're splitting the establishment vote. So now the establishment, they're all going to go behind Pete Buttigieg because they really want Trump to not be president anymore, obviously. Um, but they would rather lose with you know somebody like Pete Buttigieg or Biden than win with Bernie Sanders or Tulsi Gabbard. And that is just disgusting, man. How partisan, like, oh, they just don't care. But yeah, they've now chosen Pete Buttigieg most likely. Because um, they think that he can probably beat Trump, whereas somebody like Joe Biden, rightly so, is going to get into a debate with Trump and just stand there and start talking about record players and words again and talk about his time growing up in in the, in the country and how you know when I was when I was a kid we didn't have donuts and you know it is just it's just too much cheese spread these days and and post-it notes are too little and and laptops are bending backwards and there was words everywhere on the laptops and you know I just and, Anyway, anyway, you know, that's the thing is that you got to put, you know, the the stands in the right places. And then and then, and then the power sockets are going to are going to get 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 larger. All of this stuff is just stuff that's surrounding me in my line of sight right now. But that could also be a Joe Biden speech. So that gives you an idea of. That kind of stuff that he's focused on right now. Um, but yeah, it'd be terrible if he was against Trump. It'd be an almost certain win for him. They tend to think that Pete Buttigieg could do it because, you know, he's a lot more polished. They think he's like Obama. He's gay. La-di-da. He's got the right talking points. He, he's. You can see how much he's trained his politician voice because it barely even sounds like a politician voice anymore. He's been taking rhetoric classes for years and years and years. And it's just like, if you follow politics enough, you can hear it. And that's what makes it all the more disgusting. It's because you're like, to get this good, a fake voice and cadence and tone, 
you have to be really fucked in the head, man. Because he's clearly a very smart guy. But something about it just being so close to authenticity manufactured is like actually being the furthest away from it. Like somebody like Hillary three years ago. She was near that level. She was so good at this, at this like fake politician voice and talking point thing. But you could still, it was still kind of evident, you know? And people knew her for so long and she just didn't really have the right talking points either and her rhetoric wasn't very strong. But somebody like Pete is like, it just makes my skin crawl listening to him, man. Like he's, he's got the exact right amount of nanoseconds in his pauses when he's answering things to just make it land exactly how he thinks it should land. But yeah, I, I read a, a thing yesterday which was talking about, I don't know how true this was, just some guy on Twitter, but he was saying that he went to elementary school with Pete Buttigieg and from like the age of three, he wanted to be president and every single step uh, in his life has been calculated towards that goal. And this is a man who doesn't care about anything beyond him becoming president. That's been his entire life. And that isn't the man we want in the White House. That's an egomaniac. That's somebody who's going to sell us out to ensure that he becomes the next president again after that. Again, just... It's just a sad state. Yeah, there was another thing that said, um, same guy said that he focus grouped twice to find out the most accessible and favorable pronunciation of his name. So he was like, okay, guys, do you prefer Budajij, Budajij, Budagej? What a G edge? <laughs> what should I tell people my name is? Like, if that doesn't perfectly encapsulate how inauthentic and terrible he is, then I don't know what will. And the best part is, at the end of the day, your name still starts with but. You can't get around that, man. I've got a similar issue if I, whenever, if I ever want to go into politics because my last name starts with fail. I could be like, that's an ironic thing, man, because we're actually going to win. <laughs> Didn't think about that, did you? Next question. <laughs> but yeah. So um, another reason Pete Buttigieg is terrible and is hopefully not going to win the nomination is because he has 0% black support. That's pretty hard to do, man. To have 0% of the people supporting. When he's on like between 10 or around 10% nationally, to have 0% of that black, when America's like 25% black, that's pretty hard, man. He's He just doesn't have, you know, he's able to connect with white voters because he's been getting a lot of Elizabeth Warren's um, voters now that she's been falling off. Kind of the middle to upper middle class white liberals but he just doesn't have any kind of connection with the black voters, with the black communities. You can't just create that overnight. You know, Biden's been a politician for 50 years 
and he was Obama's VP, so he has legitimacy with the black community. Bernie Sanders has been doing grassroots campaigning for the last four years nationally, and before that, you know, amongst people who follow politics, they were aware of him for the last 20, 30 years. So he gets people like Cornell West, he gets people like Killer Mike, uh, Cardi B, you know, big, big celebrities in the black community all support him. Pete Buttigieg has none of that. He's trying to create this overnight. He lied about having black endorsements. This was a huge story, which actually, which was insane that, I think this was maybe three weeks ago. He, he took stock images from a website in Kenya promoting their tourism industry and used them on his uh, website and his social media to say, look at this, we have 300 black endorsements. <laughs> And then he got called out like immediately and everyone was like, bro, man, you can't do that. That's African people. That's Kenyans. That's not, oh God. <laughs> you think we're stupid. But yeah, he's just, he's very inexperienced as well. Um, but yeah, I really think that's going to hinder his campaign because with these things, you need a really multiracial, diverse base that's going to turn out for you. Because also, his, the people who are supporting him, he's got undecideds. People who are voting for Bernie, he has 71% are definitely going to vote. 71% of his um, supporters are definitely going to vote for him. I think Joe Biden was like 60%. Elizabeth Warren's like 40 Pete Buttigieg is like 30 I don't know the exact numbers on that. But that, that says a lot, and that shows that his recent surge... And all of the establishment media being like, oh, he's the guy. He's, oh, he might do an Obama, you know. Ooh, ooh. Nah, man, he's just, he's got, he's got some support from Elizabeth Warren now that people have realized that she's pretty shit as well. But yeah, the, the thing three weeks ago, so he, he did this fake black endorsements thing, which was huge news, but you barely, they barely talked about it in the establishment media. And then the week after that, there was the presidential debate. And they didn't even bring it up, man. Can you imagine for a second if Bernie had done that or Tulsi had done that or even Elizabeth Warren had done that? That would have been their first question. They would have hammered away on that. Everybody on the stage would have been like, you're a liar. How can we trust you? No mention of this during the debate. It just shows that the people who moderate these debates, CNN, MSNBC, they treat the establishment candidates with such a lower degree of scrutiny than they do the progressives. With the progressives, there's always tough questions like, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? What's the policy? Anytime uh, an establishment candidate is there and they've screwed up or they've got some questionable beliefs, they really dance around the edges. With uh, Elizabeth Warren recently as well, I saw a great clip today from the Jimmy Dore Show, which is a great channel on YouTube. He's a comedian and political commentator who does lots of live shows where he is basically doing comedy and he has other people on stage, but they just take the piss out of every single politician, um, just rinse people. A very good commentary, not necessarily more journalism as well, but it's just, it's just funny to watch and they're, they're always on the money with stuff. 
But yeah, this was a clip of Elizabeth Warren in Atlanta, and she was giving a speech about the history of black women in the workplace and how they've always contributed a lot and how they're very important. And she was like a few minutes in, and then some protesters started heckling her and going, boo, boo, or chanting something. And she just freezes, like just looking in the same spot, like she's been caught in some kind of Star Wars ray gun, you know, where she can't move. And she's just, boo, nothing, just freeze. And then the other half of the crowd starts going, let her speak. Well, not even half, you know, it was just a few protesters. It wasn't a huge thing. She could have carried on speaking over it probably. But they were like, let her speak, let her speak. And then she just carried on sitting there, not moving. I'm sorry, standing there, but just like nothing, no response, no idea what to do, no idea how to handle the situation. And then after like 20 seconds, Ayanna Presley, who's one of her surrogates, who's a black woman, um, has to come on stage to defuse the entire situation because Elizabeth Warren has no idea what to do. And she obviously saw this and she was like, fuck, Liz has, has no idea what to do. And she comes on and handles it perfectly and says, let her speak. You know, this isn't fair. She's talking about the history of black women in this state. This is some serious business. You don't have to be here. Nobody's trying to quiet you. la di da di da And just, uh, you know, she gets around applause. And then Liz Warren goes back to her speech. But th these moments in the campaign trail, they're important. Because if you're trying to be the leader of the free world, and you can't even handle a bunch of hecklers who disagree with you, and you have no idea what to do in that situation, how are you going to handle being the president and having to deal with all these asshole Republicans who are trying to destroy every single thing that you're going for, fighting you at every corner, all of these Republicans across the country who are going to hate you from the get-go. How are you going to handle these people? Excellent point made in the Jimmy Dore show was you're running to be president of the whole country and a lot of them aren't going to like you. A lot of them are going to boo you. A lot of them are going to disagree with you fundamentally. And if when confronted with those people, you stand there with no idea what to say, then you're not fit to be leader. A massive part of that is responding to criticism and knowing how to handle it in the moment and nipping it in the bug. Because this also, this just doesn't make you look strong. Imagine if she was in a debate against Trump. He would run rings around her, man. Like she's got the better policies, she's smarter, she's got the ideas, but... In debates, especially the American format, so much of it is how it looks. And there's a big thing about being a strong leader. And she does not have that. He would just hit her on loads of things. She's also, she's got a track record of dishonesty. And there's been a few things, like she said that she was fired from one of her first jobs for being pregnant. That was a lie. She lied about Native American heritage. Big lie. Um, she lied about her Medicare for All plan, which then she revealed was actually a three-year plan, and she hoped to have it implemented by the end of year three. And you know, there's just there's been a whole litany of things recently, which, if she wins the nomination, that's gonna kill her, and Trump is gonna hammer away on this stuff so hard, and her responses are gonna be pretty. Pretty milk toast, I think. I don't think she has the 
the guns to fight back properly against him. But yeah, also there's just something about her, man. She's got such a punchable face. I hate looking at her face. It's just like this wonky technocrat, like, you know, like that aunt at the dinner table who always is chatting shit about the family. God, I really don't like her. But yeah, we shall see how that one progresses. Um, Another thing that's been going down recently is a young man called Michel Bloomberg who announced his candidacy last week and he's the CEO of Bloomberg News. And this this man could actually be... I'm always torn between who's the most, the most dangerous guy running for president, Buttigieg, Biden, because Biden will surely get Trump re-elected. Now Bloomberg, I'm thinking, because this guy is just an oligarch. And the first thing he's did is put $37 million of his own money into an ad campaign, which is a record. And he's literally just trying to buy the election. And what's scary is he went from like, within a week, he's jumped to like 6% in the polls, just from the name recognition. And the fact that people have started seeing his ads on TV, around town, on billboards constantly. And he can do that straight away. Doesn't actually need any support. And what's funny is in, is in these elections, you know, so much of, because anybody can become president, you kind of have to get legitimacy, not through normal structures of politics like you do in European countries. You get it through media. You get it through a following that can exist completely outside of institutions. So the fact that he can come in and just go $37 million, bang, and have a huge network of people already and just buying it and then buying ads, buying billboards... And then, of course, the media. This is this is another angle to this, which is terrible. He's the CEO of Bloomberg, who are one of the biggest news agencies, if not the biggest in the world, alongside Reuters. So they're they're the ones. They don't function like uh, CNN or BBC or MSNBC. Those are all national news networks. Reuters and Bloomberg, they're actually the ones who gather a lot of the news that you see on news networks. So often you'll see like a video from Syria or some other part of the world where obviously BBC or CNN, they're not going to have reporters in every single country in the world. So they buy the news from Bloomberg or Reuters. So they're very, very integral to the world of, of journalism. And he's the CEO. He's the founder. So what you get at a lot of these... Um, news networks, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News even... A lot of the anchors and journalists there, they view Bloomberg as a potential future employer. So they're not going to want to, you know, come out and be really harsh and critical and talk about his campaign in earnest terms and how he's just buying legitimacy. Because they think, oh, no, I might, I, might, I might work for him in a couple of years. You know, you never know. That could be a nice gig. So, and even putting that aside, the fact that he's, one of the owners of the media and he wants to be the president combining the media and politics should not be allowed he'd be president 
And theoretically, he would control one of the biggest media companies in the world. I think that's a bit fucked up. That's some Orwellian shit right there. You know, and surely, hopefully, he'd be forced to to rescind his his company, like Jimmy Carter had to do in the 70s, where he had to sell his peanut farm because Congress was like, ah, that's a conflict of interest, man. And this was his family peanut farm, man. He loved that peanut farm. And they were like, nope, you need to be president. That should be your focus. Not the peanuts, man. Put the peanuts away. And he did it happily. Sold his peanuts. No big deal. But now you see a situation with Trump where presidents aren't really expected to do that anymore. Trump's still allowed to have all of his businesses. He just, you know, gives it to his son for the time being to manage the affairs. He's still doing loads of dodgy deals with Saudi Arabia. He's trying to get summits held at his hotels and resorts. He's he's trying to funnel money through various enterprises. Never huge amounts, but always like, you know, corruption. And if Bloomberg is president and he has all of the media... Man, it's just... It's scary to even think about what could happen. Especially as he's a very, very authoritarian, paternalistic politician. This was what character, because he was president, or sorry, mayor of New York from 2002 to 2013. And there was a lot of criticisms drawn from his time as the mayor. For example, he took away big gulps. And you might listen to that and think, what is a big gulp? A big gulp is the largest amount of soda you can get in a cup. So like a cup of soda, which is like the size of your head. And it's something you get. It's, it's, it's a metaphor for America. Yeah? And American freedom. And you know what? If I want to drink, you know, three quarters of a liter of, of Pepsi, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking do it. And there's nothing you can tell me to stop me. All right? I think it's even more. I think it's like a liter in a cup. But this is freedom, you know? If if you want to drink that much that much soda from the fountain at 7-Eleven, go ahead and do it, man. That's your choice. The same way, like, you're not going to say to somebody, oh, you can't buy that 1.5-litre bottle of vodka. You have to buy the 1-litre bottle of vodka because drinking 1.5 litres is unsafe. And it's like, obviously it's unsafe. But nobody drinks that all at once. And even if they do... That's their choice. It's not gonna, they'll just buy two one liter bottles. You're not actually stopping anything. You're just putting arbitrary controls according to your prejudices and your predispositions around the lives of other people. So this was a big thing that he did. And it, you know, it might sound like a minor thing, but it actually says a lot about his opinions on politics and how people should be governed. So there was a thing that came out recently. Um, which was, I think, a speech from him from a while back where he was basically talking about how we should raise taxes on poor people because if you give poor people too much money, then they're not going to live as long because they don't know how to handle themselves. That was the essence of what he was saying. He, he wrapped it up real nice. He's one of these politicians who can who can seem quite caring and... He has a real way with words and he'll he'll say something pretty wild and then he'll spend like a minute dressing it up pretty nicely and saying a bunch of other 
things and linking them via fallacies. And then at the end, you're like, what did he say? Um, and there's, there's like a few things in there that you agree with. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess. But you can't miss that. You have to go back to the initial statement because that's what he really believes. And in this one, he was saying that he wants to raise taxes or taxes should be high for poor people saying that poor people basically have, you know, enough money. They might even have too much money. And the taxes should be regressive, which is mind-boggling that somebody can think that. But, yeah, we really do not want him to become president. Uh, yeah, in terms of the Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Ber Bernard Sanders. <laughs> the boy. Uh... I haven't heard that much from him recently. There was a, a CNN host, Chris Matthews, who came out and was like, you know, the American people, there's a lot of people in the field at the moment, you know, Bernie Sanders, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Elizabeth Warren, they've been talking a lot about corruption and how our political system is broken. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that our corruption, there's too much corruption in the government. No man people love our country if you tell them that they're just gonna not like you you know you're gonna lose just the election and think about that for a sec think about what this host this like long-standing well-respected journalist on the biggest news network in america is saying that the politicians should not call out other politicians for corruption so the news guy is calling out the politician for talking about corruption. Again, that just shows you how massively fucked America's media is and how watching CNN is... You're better off, like, staring at your fucking five-year-old cousin and asking her opinion on the election. Staring at five-year-olds is always fun, though, isn't it? <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, that's my that's my one for today. Wasn't as uh, well prepared as the other ones. But next next week we will come back with some hard hitting facts and statistics. Oh, next week's the uh, the general election in Britain. So as we know, Jeremy Corbyn has been raising in the polls quite a bit. Uh, he's been looking good, but I do still worry that he's not going to be able to overcome the conservative. Uh, lead at this moment in time because as you know the government and the country has been pushed further and further to the right over the last nine years and Jeremy Corbyn is offering a very very bold proposal a progressive proposal left wing to the max socialist even and I don't know if the country is ready for that and that will be the test of how how left wing our country truly is in this election we will see we will see once and for all but yes, thank you very much for listening to Party Roulette. My name has been Felix Fayesti, and I look forward to hearing from you next time. Thank you. <laughs>